0: Hi everyone, this is Leah Bond with Legends of Tabletop, and today I'd like to share with you a panel I had the privilege to record at my local library's annual Writers' Conference in November 2018. This panel is presented by speaker Kathleen Rooney and concerns literary citizenship. I'm certain that if writing and craft are topics of interest to you, you'll recognize some of the behaviors suggested and mentioned in this panel. Above all, I hope you enjoy. The talk is called Literary Citizenship. Don't think of yourself only as a star. Think of yourself as part of a constellation. And before I start talking, um, I wanted to sort of just get us all in the zone so we kind of know what we're talking about. And so I'm going to have us just for five minutes answer a few questions. All of us are going to answer these for ourselves. You don't have to share this. This is just purely for you to kind of get you on this page and crystallize your thoughts. Um, So here are the questions. Um, I'll say them all a couple times. But again, you don't have to share this, so just be really honest with yourself. One, why do you want to be a writer? And that can be anything from it's fun to I want money, power, and glory, to whatever, just why. And it, it can probably be multiple reasons. And then two, why and how do you participate in the literary community? So why and how do you participate in the literary community? And then last two questions, what do you want to do to improve your own writing? And then what do you wish could be added to the literary community? So, what do you want to do to improve your own writing, and what would you like to see added to the or to your literary community? So just a few minutes to answer those. It doesn't have to be beautiful answers, but just more thought-provoking. So I'll just give you a couple minutes and we'll go from there. Alright, so, um, again, you don't have to share that, but I think that was just sort of a good way to get us all on the sort of same page for what uh, I'm about to talk about. So, um, all this, you know, is just up here. You don't have to take copious notes, and you don't even have to read it if you don't want to, but if you're like me and it helps you to see, here it is. So, does anybody need it bigger it's big enough? Um, So this is kind of going to be in the style of like giving a paper. This is the paper I'm going to give and then you can ask questions at the end. Um, But on Thursday, April fourth, 2013, which is the day that I started um, putting together my first ever version of this talk on kind of this idea of literary citizenship, uh, the film critic Roger Ebert died. I don't know, Roger Ebert fans in the house. Um, He was great. I think he was such a great critic and such an interesting person. His memoir was good. Um, gone too soon. Um, But the Chicago Sun-Times, which is where he reviewed movies for 46 years, ran a tribute to him. Um, It wasn't just an obituary, it was an article, you know, a remembrance, a celebration. And in it, they quoted a passage from this memoir of his which I recommend. It came out in 2012 um, and it's called Life Itself A Memoir. Um, And he, he said this, this is the quote they chose to quote. Kindness covers all of my political beliefs. No need to spell them out. I believe that if, at the end, according to our abilities, we have done something to make others a little happier and something to make ourselves a little happier, that is about the best we can do. To make others less happy is a crime. To make ourselves unhappy is where all crime starts. We must try to contribute joy to the world. That is true no matter what our problems, our health, our circumstances. We must try. I didn't always know this, and I'm happy I lived long enough to find it out. Um, I love this quote. I think it's cool. Um, and you might be hearing it and thinking like, okay, that's nice, but I'm here at this conference uh, to learn how to be a better writer and to get myself and my work out there. So what does kindness have to do with any of that? And if you're wondering that, that's a good question. I'm, I'm about to answer it. You'll be surprised to know that's what's coming. So, there we go. Um, I would answer that kindness um, sort of has everything to do with the goals of being a better and or published author, Um, because although Evert here is describing um, kindness as his politics, uh, I would say that so too could it work as an aesthetics or a poetics. Um, and so just to pause there, I think you know a lot of times we get really caught up in the practical aspects of being a writer, which we should, right? Learning technique, doing prompts, reading journals, that kind of thing, but I think sometimes it can be helpful to step back and get a bigger picture, and so that's where your aesthetics or your poetics would come in, right? Your articulation of the set of values um, or motivations that drive the desire to do any of that other stuff in the first place. Um, So, you know, kind of, I think kindness, as Ebert posits it, could underlie your sort of everyday practice of your writing or even your orientation toward the world. Um, Because I think it's kind of something that should be done in your everyday life, um, but also in your writer life. So, um, I'm into helping people get their work out there, but I think a better way to think of how to get your work out there is not so much as self promotion but as literary citizenship because I think a lot of writers, if we get so lucky as to be to the point where our stuff is being published and we're appearing in magazines or we're coming to stuff like this, um, I think a lot of times writers are like more introverted, not always. I'm an extroverted writer, but people always feel weird about that. I love talking to people and meeting people, but I know some writers, you know, we write because we don't want to necessarily be like, look at the book, don't look at me. Um, so self-promotion and getting your work out there can sometimes feel exhausting or it can sometimes feel inauthentic or it can feel sleazy. Um, And so this is a way to think of it, um, not just through semantics, but to make it something that's not any of that, but something that you just kind of want to do anyway. Um, So, literary citizenship. Has anybody heard of literary citizenship as a concept? Cool. Okay, just a couple. So, you know, to give a definition, and also credit where it's due, um, because being a good literary citizen means giving credit where it's due. Um, I didn't make this idea up, um, but I really love it as a concept, and so if you're curious about who sort of invented this, his name's here, and this is part of why I wanted to project it. His name's Blake Butler, um, and he wrote this book, um, Scorch Atlas, but he has since written a bunch of other novels. He's a fiction writer and a nonfiction writer, and he pioneered this idea of literary citizenship over 10 years ago now, and it was on Wednesday July 30th in 2008 and we know this because that was back when so many writers had blogs um, there still are blogs but that was like kind of peak bloggery um, and here's the link it has a weird title but you can still go check I don't, I don't know why it has such a weird title but um he put this in that entry for that day and so this other author Ryan Call Um, had put out sort of, ooh, sorry, a giveaway offer. You know, kind of authors, one of the things they do is, like, you know, the first X people to do this, get my book, and things like that. Um, And so he was responding to that and sort of said that when it comes to promotion, everybody can do more and can do so in ways that don't cost a lot of money. And so here's the key sort of quotes about how this concept was born. He said... There are people who don't even answer their emails when they get those I like your work mails, which really blows my mind some. You're just typing into a keyboard like the rest of us. Don't be Richard Ford spitting on Colson Whitehead. Don't be a turd person. Getting involved is being involved, and if you aren't actively promoting others, I don't know why in hell you think anyone would ever want to read or support you. Um, and you can tell that Blake is a bit harsh, right? He has this persona, he's kind of, uh, a little blunt, that's his style, um, but I think he makes a good point, and this concept was kind of picked up on other blogs, and this other writer, Dinty Moore, um, who I recommend as well, he um, writes this, uh, or runs this blog um, slash literary magazine called Brevity. Has anybody heard of it? Yeah, its I highly recommend it if you write or like to read flash nonfiction, Um, The rule, sign bar, the rule on this website is that they'll publish pieces of 750 words or less. So they're very brief and they're all true stories. Um, And he's got a blog that's attached to that that often has interviews and essays. Um, So he linked to Blake's piece on the brevity blog and sort of added some of his own thoughts to it. And so he is the one who kind of coined this term literary citizen. So he says, Blake Butler, fictionist, blogged in most excellent fashion recently about the need to be a positive karmic force in the world of literary citizenship. What comes around, goes around, he reminds us. So, what is literary citizenship? Um, It's essentially being kind by trying to make both yourself and other people a little bit happier in terms of how you get your own work out there while at the same time helping other people get theirs out there too. So that's all kind of heady and abstract, but to put a finer point on it and to go from sort of abstract to concrete, here's kind of how it works. So another way to think of it is the golden rule of being a writer, right? Do unto others as you have them do unto you. So basically it means be yourself, be your best self, do what you do anyway or what you should be doing if you really are someone who loves reading, writing, literature, and authors. Because I think sometimes, before I get into the list, this list, it's easy as writers to get super down the rabbit hole of our own projects and our own egos and think I just have to finish my piece, I have to find a place to put it, I spend all this time alone in a room tinkering over this thing. Um, and that can be fun and that's necessary, but this is sort of an antidote to that and to kind of take this inward looking thing and turn it outward. And I think too sometimes we think like literature is just the words on the page or the book that we go by at the bookstore And that's it, that's literature. But I would argue that literature is this web of complicated other practices and interactions that use that piece of writing or that book only as a jumping off point, not as an end point. So I think literary citizenship is a way to think not just, how do I get my book into the world? But like, why did I even wanna do that in the first place? And like, why is this fun? Um, So. Don't just ask people uh, to read and give feedback on your work. Offer to do the same for them. Don't just, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a book coming out, don't just send your own book out for review. Um, Write reviews of other authors' books if you can. There's so many, you know, and I don't mean necessarily like the New York Times book review, although, like, dream big, why not? Shoot for the moon, might catch a star. Um, But there's so many small literary magazines. and websites and things like that that do run book reviews and so that can be a really great way for you to support writers that you admire or to talk about issues you think are important in the world of literature um i write a lot of book reviews because i love if you were in my class before now i love telling people what to read i'm a professor and so i'm drunk with power <laughs> <laughs> with recommendations um but it's exciting it's a chance to, to you know stand up on a little soapbox and say hey look over here This is." cool. Like, I liked this. Check it out. Um, And also, it's a good way to, like, deepen your practice of reading. I think my point in all this stuff is it's not, I'm not saying be some, like, Pollyanna do-gooder who's, like, sacrificing herself for others. That's not it. Um, It's something you should kind of want to do anyway, because it benefits you, too. So, like, for example, if you do a book review, um, you're promoting that person and sharing with other people what you love, or maybe what you hate, right? If you think a book is pernicious, you could take it down, although that's not really where I like to dwell, Um, but you're teaching yourself, right? We all know that if we're reading something and we have to write about it, the depth of our engagement goes so much higher than if we're just reading it casually and then tossing it back in the return pile. So I think all of these are things that you give but you also get, so it's not, it's it's, everybody wins. don't just try to get um, other people to interview you. Try to interview other authors, right? You've probably noticed this if you spend time in the literary parts of the internet. That you know, increasingly, like when people have books coming out, they have to do a lot of writing themselves. They want to be doing Q and As with people that let them talk about the book, or they're writing essays that always have the byline. So and so's book just came out. You know, here's a link to buy it. Um, so you know, don't just try. To make that be the kind of thing that happens for you. See if you know if there's somebody you could talk to, you could write a piece about. Don't just hope somebody mentions you in an omnibus article or essay. Pitch articles and essays and mention as many other authors' work is pertinent that you can. Um, I think another way that I like to put it is like try to make people's Google alerts for themselves go off. It's fun. Like it's fun to see like what people what are people saying about my work and to be like, oh my gosh, somebody engaged with this enough to to want to talk about it. Um, Don't just read something quietly and like it to yourself. Find the author online and write them a charming note. I'm a huge fan of the charming note. I talked about this a little bit in the agent conversation yesterday. And you don't have to be a brown nose. Like if you know, if you worry about gushing, just be really brief and be sincere. And it can be as simple as just like, hey, I saw what you did and I liked it. Thanks, right? Um, And then of course, if you do get those, you know, because that's one of the things that Blake Butler, is complaining about I think justifiably is if somebody writes you a charming note, don't ignore it, right? Say thanks, you know, write back. Or if somebody tweets like I loved your book, you can at least say like Thank you, you know. Um, it's not it's not hard, and I think you're probably it might be obvious, but you'd be amazed how many people don't do these things. And again, I feel like at the end of the day, this is all stuff that is just like fun and like part of why hopefully some of us are doing this in the first place. Um, also, don't just hope that people tweet and Facebook and Instagram and blog about you. Um, if you have those platforms yourself, it's so easy if you read something to just, um, you know, take a picture of it, you know, kind of shelfy style and be like, hey, I just finished this great poetry collection by Kim Adinizio. It was amazing, you know, and like put it out there. Not necessarily because you're hoping she, you know, Kim sees it as like, oh, a fan, you know, maybe I'll do something for her someday. Um, But because you really loved it, and you really do want to like buttonhole people and say like, this book was great. It'll make your life better if you read it. You know, share that stuff. Um, And then also like bigger stuff, and it really depends on the time and the location. um, But if you have time or can make time start a journal or a press and dedicate yourself to making the literary landscape a more diverse and beautiful place. Um, I think just a personal example, um, I run Rose Metal Press, and Abby and I started it back in 2006, my partner on the press, because we saw a lot of people doing really cool work in hybrid literary genres, so prose poetry, flash fiction, image and text, weird stuff. That we loved and that wouldn't make a lot of sense to send to an agent or get published by a big trade publisher, but that we could publish well, right? So not in like fifty thousand copy runs, but like two thousand copy runs. Um, you know, we published People often say, like, I wrote the kind of books that I wanted to read, which I think is great. So we publish the kind of books that we want to read. Um, and also, these days, if you don't want to go the paper route, although I love books as objects. Um, it's not super hard to, you know, you can set things up online. The barriers to entry are excitingly low, so you don't have to make it a big burdensome, uh, uh, cost-inefficient kind of thing. Um, But I will say if you do do that, you want to make sure that you have the follow-through, right? Run it like a pro. Don't use it to publish yourself or get attention. Really treat it seriously and be fair, ethical, and responsive to the people who submit to you. Um, once you decide who to publish, do your best to get their work not just printed, but read. Promote other people as much as you possibly can, and usually those people will notice and want to promote you back. So again, not that it should be some easy like, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, but just that's what a community can be. Um, and if you have time, go to and or organize readings and literary events. I'm preaching to the choir, I know, so I apologize if you're all sitting here being like, I'm already an awesome literary citizen, but that's great, and thanks for listening. Um, but I just... Uh, there's so many ways to do more if you want to. Um, so you know, don't just invite people to come hear You read, but go hear them. Or if you, you know, live in a community and you're part of a writing group, and you're like, oh, it'd be cool if we like just had an open mic night once a month, or if we ask the library if we could do a thing. You know, why not? And also, you know, when your book is coming out, don't just ask other people to buy books. Uh, of yours, you want to buy books of other people, um, buy them at readings and in bookstores and online, or just get them from the library, right? If, if money is an object, you can always read and just enjoy them. But I think there's always, you know, everywhere I go, especially bar readings, there's always the guy who's at the bar reading, and, you know, he'll come up and say, love what you read, and you're like, thanks. And he's like, I can't buy your book, though I don't have any money. And then he like buys another beer, and you're just like, is that not money? You know, so at the very least, Just, you know, it's really basic, but like, don't be a jerk. Um, At its most minimal level, literary citizenship does amount to just that, not being insensitive, not being a jerk, Um, but at its best, which I think, again, you all are already here, so I feel like you're already doing the thing. Um, It amounts to being a joyful, engaged, active participant in the field that we call literature, Um, and that means you're kind of guided by kindness and a desire to do good for yourself and for other people. Um, so, that in a few paragraphs is literary citizenship. It's a concept that I feel like once you've heard it once now, if you hadn't heard of it before, you'll start noticing it in other places or start being like, hey, I'm already literary citizenshiping. Cool. Um, I think as writers, there's like a thrill to knowing the name for things or finding out that a thing you've been doing has a name. Like, I felt sidebarred that way. I'm a walker, I love walking, and then when I got to college and found out there was this thing called flannery, this fancy French word for aimless walking through a city, I was like, I've been a flannus my whole life, and now I know it. So maybe you're like, I've been a literary citizen for years, and now I can just say it. Um, So, to sum up, and then maybe open questions, you can, if you want to, think of a lot of these practices that I've just described as networking, or you know, going out and making connections, um, or setting people up from whom you can later call in favors, um, and that's all something to think about. But to me, I think sometimes, again, going back to why you know some of us are writers in the first place and how that can feel a little weird, um, rather than thinking of it in maybe those manipulative and opportunistic and sleazy terms. Um, you can think of it you know, as just something you truly and sincerely want to do. Um, and I will say, though, that it can open doors to you, right? And just as an example, I'm not saying this always works, but again, thinking a few steps ahead, if you're a writer, you're here, you're working on a piece, maybe you're working on a book, someday your book's about to come out and then your agent says, or your editor says, great news is coming out, but now you need blurbs, right, for the back jacket copy. Um, who are you gonna ask for blurbs? And you don't want to be like, I don't know anyone, I haven't talked to anyone for five years when I was finishing this book, I have no friends. Um, You know, and so doing this can be a way to do it, right? Maybe you interview an author you love, it goes well, you publish it, and you're like, hey, Kelly Link, I stay here because I love her and I interviewed her, and you're like, hey, we did that interview, I love you, you know I love you, I've got a book coming out, like, would you blurb it? You know, and if you're just like some rando off the street who's like, hey, I want something from you, Kelly Link will probably be like, no, But if she's like, oh my god, yeah, your interview, that was so cool. So again, I don't want to make it sound like you're just doing this to cash it in later, but you see how all of this stuff can like lead to something inherently fun, but also something that might yield dividends down the road. Um, so either way, you think of it, everybody wins. If you are a kind, thoughtful, community-minded literary citizen, making other people happy will make you happy. Way happier than just thinking about yourself and your career all the time, for real. Um, and for more information, if you're curious about, you know, this is just scratching the surface of literary citizenship, um, but I want to leave time for questions. Um, there's this website that's just called literarycitizenship.com and it's run by this woman, Kathy Day. I don't know if any of you know her, she's a great um, novelist and nonfiction writer um, based in Muncie, Indiana. Um, and she teaches a whole class, a graduate class, on this idea of literary citizenship um, in an MFA program because she thinks so many of these things are the practical things that, in addition to point of view and plot and characterization, should really be taught so that when you get to that point, you're not just totally at sea. Um, so, hopefully, after all that, you can now see, we'll go all the way back to the beginning. You can see where my title comes from, which is don't think of yourself only as a star, think of yourself as part of a constellation, because you're both, right? You're a star, you're gonna be a star writer, but you're also part of this whole other constellation that makes up a bigger picture um, and makes everything more beautiful and connected. So, that's what I had prepared. Questions, thoughts, disagreements, yeah. And this is kind of jumping off from what you were saying earlier. It's a little off topic in literature. That's okay. But you mentioned something called flash fiction. What is it? Oh yeah, totally. So flash fiction, um, as defined by Rose Middle Press, um, which is the press I run, is fiction of a thousand words or less. So short stories that are very brief. But I will say that's just you know one woman, one press's opinion. I think that is a pretty standard definition, but there's other places that have even shorter definitions or that break it down you know 500 words or less becomes like a micro fiction or there's like hint fiction which is under 100 words there's yeah there's six word stories which are you know like that Hemingway you know for sale baby shoes never worn think so. yeah great question yeah and if you, I've if you, if like exhausted you on the topic of literary citizenship <laughs> you can ask me other stuff too or share your own experiences of literary citizenship I came in late because I, uh, I was at a campaign rally. Would you remind me vote? Yeah, please vote. I already voted. I was early vote because I don't want to like die before I get the chance to vote. And I was like, what if I if I get hit by a bus? My vote needs to count. So, yeah, vote. And I think, actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because we should all vote. But also... I think that idea of you know being a citizen. I mean, it's I'm talking literary citizenship, but I think if you're still if you still have questions of like what is literary citizenship, it's like just being a citizen in this subcategory in the way that you would hopefully be a citizen, just you know of America. Yeah. I think you just came up with the best motivational study. Thank you. Yeah, I'm reliably morbid. Yeah, I tend to catastrophize. Yeah, I was just wondering, what's your favorite platform? I guess for engaging with other authors, like Twitter, Goodreads, Facebook. Yeah, um, I'm a huge fan of Goodreads. I love Goodreads. Um, Both again, because I think for me, Goodreads typifies kind of this. You win, they win. Thing that ideally I'm hoping happens because I feel like I win because I love. I'm obsessive about lists and catalogs, so I think it's really fun to be able to just like mark everything I want to read, everything I've read, how I felt about it. Um, But then I, you know, so I think I I get something out of it. But I also think you know the writers whose books you read and say stuff about get something out of it too because they know people are talking about it. And I will say. Goodreads you know, giveth, and Goodreads taketh away. Um, people have different orientations toward that as writers. Like I read, like I'm always on Goodreads because I like it, but I, I'm on it for our authors for Rosemetal Press because I like to see what other people are saying about the books we put out, and who's liking them, who's not liking them, who's ignoring them. Um, but I also do the same thing for my books. Um, whereas, but you have to kind of have a tough skin because of course Goodreads, it's not that it's all a walk in the park, some people Some people don't like your writing, but it's okay. I think I always think, you know, it's like the Oscar Wilde thing. The only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. So even if somebody's like, in my case, like, Lillian Boxfish was a boring old lady. It sucked. I'm like thanks for reading it, you know? <laughs> like, that's fine, not everybody has to like everything, but I would say on, on those, you know, a word of, of, you know, caveat is that it's it's fun and it's participatory, but not everyone is always being super nice, I'm not always super nice, I sometimes give things two stars, I don't like things, um, but I think I like that for that reason, and then I think I also like Twitter, because it's more, I feel like a literary Twitter is very much a thing, and I think, you know, because it is verbal, I don't know, Twitter, speaking of democracy, I don't know, the internet may have destroyed our republic, but at least it's a fun place to talk about books with <laughs>
1: other
0: people. <laughs> <laughs> other questions or other, yeah? Outside of Twitter, did we tell you to communicate or connect with other leaders and writers public? Yeah, I mean, online, I think, you know, there's a lot of websites that I really recommend that I think, you know, in, in terms of this idea of, like, maybe you could pitch interviews or roundtables or do book reviews, um, my favorites right now. I love LitHub. Um, it's Literary Hub. It's just I think it's just LitHub.com. But if you Google LitHub, it's awesome. It has you know interviews and aggregate reviews and essays by authors, Q and A's. It's really good. Um, and then I also love um, the Los Angeles Review of Books, the LARB. Um, it's it, you know, it's kind of trying to be like the New York Review of Books, a very like in-depth reviewing place, but um, almost totally online, and a little more populist, a little more open to all types of stuff. I mean, I love the New York Review of Books, I love it, but I feel like it, it is a little closed and elite, whereas the LA Review of Books seems a little more welcoming to all comers. And then I also love Electric Literature. Um, and I, again, I think these are all just like electricliterature.com because um, it's kind of a similar clearinghouse site for um, different ways to engage with literature. And then I also love the Poetry Foundation website because they always have features. So even if you can't afford to subscribe um, or just don't need that much paper in your life to the magazine, which I love, you can see what contemporary poets are saying about old poetry and new poetry. Um, and then finally, I'm a big fan of um, Paris Review Online. I think again the magazine itself is good, but I find their, you know, blog and, and online features a really interesting way to see what's being written about and who's doing the writing. Um, yeah, the Paris Review. Paris Review Online, like Paris Paris, France. Yeah. And then I think too, once you start sort of falling down the rabbit hole of the online community, you start seeing links and new people link to and you can find a bunch more and I recommended it yesterday but there's this great website, um, newpages.com, like new as opposed to old, so newpages.com, and they have um, all kinds of stuff but they do like literary magazine reviews, literary magazine listings, so you can see places you could submit your own work or places you could pitch interviews or book reviews or just you know, who's looking for what. Um, and then listings of like writers' conferences and stuff because I do think you know in in twenty eighteen it's super important to do stuff online but also super important to do stuff in real space and so I think we kind of are living in a good time in the sense that we can do stuff in our own communities but then also if we're more remote or smaller and we want to do a bigger connection we can do it through online but I think you need definitely need both. Other questions um, in the back and then in the slightly less back. <laughs> <laughs> So this is kind of like happening, but like what do you think about when you're talking about, you know, online stuff, what about author websites? I feel like for me, especially because I write young and authors and read a lot of overall and a lot of that is serious, and I like to be able to go to the author's website and see their list of books, and like sometimes I will get sad because I'll find authors that don't to have websites, and then I'm like, well, where do I go? And then usually I end up on Goodreads, that's my next go-to, but I mean, is that just me, or would um, you also agree that websites are a good thing? Yeah, I think um, I think having a website is good. We at Rosemount Press require our authors to have an author website, but we don't want it to be burdensome. I think everybody has to decide, you know, because it's not always good for everybody to be online. It can be a corrosive thing. So I think if you're sitting here thinking like, you know, Twitter makes me sad, looking at the internet sucks my soul out, you know, don't do too much of it, right? Um, Or find a way to make it not do that. So I think you can do it in ways that are, I recommend that everybody do it just to be reachable and just to have that place. And I mean, you can do it just with like WordPress or Tumblr, it can be really low key, you don't have to spend like a ton of money on it. But I do think I I recommend it because then people can find you and send you nice notes or you can just have that clearinghouse of like, here's... Uh, here's a platform where I show you what I do for other writers, right? Here's a section on Q and As where I interview my favorite YA writer and stuff like that. So I think, on the whole, I recommend it. Although I understand that it's not healthy for everybody. I have I have two little questions, kind of. Um, you talked about it, it's okay to write to writers that you admire or whatever, but don't gush. What if you cannot help yourself? You're just going to gush. Well, they think you're crazy, and then you keep talking about interviewing them. What if you did want to interview Like, you've got to have some place put you can't just say, Hey, I love your stuff. I want to interview you. Where can you put this interview so that you have a reason? That is a great question. I think, you know, the gushing, I mean, you know, be sincere, be yourself. Like, if that's your true response, I don't want to tell anybody not to be themselves. But I think, you know, maybe draft it and then take a walk <laughs> and then come back and look at it again before you hit send. Um, but I think, you know, be yourself, if you're being sincere, that's cool. Um, but then I think that's a great question about the q and is because it kind of becomes a chicken-egg situation where you're like, I want to review this writer, and I want to publish something in this place, but like, which do I do first? So I would say, usually, especially when you're just getting started, you would want to try to find a venue. And see if you could get it lined up first. Like you could write another one that I love is like Brooklyn Rail. They do really long Q and As with people, and they're called Brooklyn, but they publish people from all over. It's just where they're based, but they're definitely nationwide. And so you can start on new pages, etc., being like, who's looking for Q and As, and then reach out to them and say like, hey, this is me. This is who I am. I want to start doing author, author conversations. If I were to do an interview with Jane Doe, would you want it? And they, you know, a lot of them might say no, or a lot of them you might not hear back, or a lot of them might say yeah if you can keep it three thousand words or less. But I think, you know, reaching out to places and knowing that it might not be so easy, I, I do. I don't want to make it sound like and then you just publish a bunch of stuff and get more famous. But um, you, you know, through persistence, you'll find a home. And then I think it is useful that when you go to Jane Doe and say like hey I'm interviewing, you know, Paris Review Online says they love a conversation, you want to do it. You know, and and usually that person will say yes. Or if they say no, you say thanks, and you try someone else, you know. Because people people do have time constraints. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about BookTube? I don't know anything about BookTube. What is it? Oh, my. Okay, well, um, there's a very active community of uh, YouTubers who talk exclusively about books. Okay. So, I mean, I they oftentimes will have a P.O. box but they like any free books So I just send my book to the bloggers um, and then they really review it and it's a good way to get attention Yeah. it's a very long I just I didn't know whether you had maybe Try that before or yeah yeah. So I guess I do know what it is, but I didn't know the word for it. So I didn't realize Yeah, I, was, you know, what I'm yeah, I do know what you're talking about. about. I just what? didn't know it was yeah, no, totally. And I've had people cover my books that way and stuff. And I think it's cool. I like it. So yeah, I don't have like all of the coverage that I've gotten that way hasn't um been directly I anything. Mean, it's just happened. So I don't really have like a staple of people that I recommend. But I think that's great, right? That's another way like or maybe you could become a booktuber, right? If you're someone who loves books and you're like, Ugh, I don't want to write all about it. I just want to like set up my camera and like hold the book up and gush, um, which seems to me what a lot of them do in a very cool way. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, booktube, cool. I learned something too. I love it when like the teacher becomes the student. Maybe one more question or comment, because we have a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah, great question. Um, So, uh, Roosevelt Press, the publishing company that I run, was founded in 2006, and I founded it right after I finished graduate school at Emerson College, which has a writing, literature, and publishing program. And so I got my MFA there, and I love poetry, and that's what I got it in, but I knew I wanted to do something with publishing. so when Abby, my partner on the press, and I were graduating, we both knew that we didn't want to go to New York and do the New York publishing thing because it's so consuming. Like It's awesome and the people who do that work are doing a really important task. But both Abby and I are writers, so we knew we couldn't serve two masters in that way to like be a serious writer and to work in New York publishing for most people isn't gonna work. They're both too demanding. Um, but we did want to participate in publishing in a more sustainable way for us. So, um, like I said, we sort of saw that a lot of people were doing what we considered hybrid genre work, and I think that's become more popular. Um, People like Sophia Samatar, um, and people like Maggie Nelson, and people like Claudia Rankine. You know, there's lots of hybridity um, that's becoming more mainstream, but at the time we were a little like not seeing it get a home, so we thought, we want to form a publishing company, but we want to fill a niche that we see as needing it, and so we made hybrid genres our mission. Um, but I would also say that if you're sitting here thinking, what could I have found? Um, it was you know, to help those writers, but it wasn't purely altruistic, it was also to make this big task of running a press more manageable, because if you just start a press or a journal and say, we want to publish stuff, we want to publish good stuff, that's like everything. That'll take all your time, right? Um, but if we say we want to publish a hybrid genre stuff, that lets us fulfill this mission that we think is important, but also limits the amount of stuff that people are sending to us so we don't have to just spend all our time sorting through this flesh pile. Um, so I think, you know, if it's literary citizenship and then Abby and I are doing it because we love it and we think this stuff is important and we want to promote it so we have a good time doing it, um, it also helps those authors have a home for their work. Um, but it also you know raises both of our profiles a little bit. I mean Rose Metal Press isn't famous, and don't start a small press. If you want to be famous because there's better ways. Um, there's the joke about like how you know how do you make a small fortune in publishing? Start with a large one. <laughs> it's, it's not the most lucrative. Um, We're nonprofit. We stayed in the black the entire time, but none of us is like gonna retire off our earnings from Rose Metal Press, Um, you know. But but I think another. This is a chance for me to say. I think what I like about literary citizenship is it allows something that often is quantified in terms of you know copies sold, sales figures, money made, movie deals, you know, stuff that's very very numerical and um, objective, arguably. Other ways to think of the value that you can locate in these practices, you know, like meeting other writers and, I mean, it's like those cheesy credit card commercials, it's like publishing Sophia Samatar's monster portraits, priceless, you know. Not everyone feels that way, but I, I think both Abby and I love the community aspect of it, and if we didn't love it, we wouldn't have been doing it for 12 years, because it's too hard. Yeah? I did you come up with the name though? Yeah, so rose's metal is a, a metalworking term, and so rose's metal is a solder uh, made of different metals that is also then used to be heated up to join other metals together, so that's our, like, hybrid thing, where we're taking things with disparate elements. Yeah? Uh, is grad school worth it, yay or nay? I mean, it's Anderson, That's the good one. That's a great question. Is grad school worth it? Um... Yes and no. It depends. I think it depends on what your end game is. I think I loved graduate school. I, I found it worth it, but I was almost totally fully funded, so I wasn't spending a lot of money on it. And I think that's, a, that's the first thing I tell people if they're thinking of getting their <laughs> master's is how is money an object for you? And if you can go somewhere residential get fully funded. Um, or if you're doing low residency, do you have like a life that's sustainable that's gonna like make this outlay of cash for this degree not destroy your finances? Um, because money is an object for most people. Um, and I think you know if you want the MFA because you're a serious scholar and benefit from that kind of environment, great. If you want it because you want the letters behind your name for like a credential that's gonna help you in your career, definitely. But I think if you're someone who just wants to deepen your participation, you be more serious about your work, get your work out there, meet people. There's other ways to do it that won't necessarily require you to uproot your life and pay money to do it. Um, but I have no regrets. I loved it. Like I got to you know study with Bill Nott, who's RIP. He died, but uh, in 2014. But he was an amazing teacher. So I do think. I mean, so I kind of like the answer but didn't answer. It depends. Yeah. I, I think it's, I, I'm hesitant. Yeah, you know, I know there's a whole like MFA versus NYC or no MFA versus MFA, but I really think it's one of those things that is case by case, so there's no answer to fits. Everybody. Last question or last comment? Yeah. I was just going to ask you about because one of the things that, that I did was actually go look at that they put in to see what you did. Yeah. And then that's what i do, more or less. So if you did that, what do you result? out. Yeah, so if you, you know, like, if you kind of DOA your own MFA, I think, I mean, the big thing that I would say that you would miss is the community and the connections, and I think, again, that depends on what you're looking for. Like, for example, just, I think, speaking anecdotally, just one woman's opinion is probably the best way to do it. Like, I went to Emerson because I really wanted to meet Bill Nott and study with him and, and some of these other teachers. Um, John Scoyles, Gail Mazer, So I wouldn't have gotten to meet them, and their mentorship actually changed my life in a lot of ways that I don't think I could have got just even reading their work. Um, and then also the people I met in my cohort, like Abby, who I met, who I founded Rose Metal Press, that was pretty life-changing. I don't think I would have started Rose Metal Press if I didn't physically meet Abby and work with her on the literary magazine and you know, get to be one of her best friends. Um, Elisa Gabbert, who's another writer that I recommend, um, was my writing partner for a long time. We wrote a bunch of books of uh, poems together back and forth. I don't think that would have happened. So that's what I think is that human connection. But so maybe if you couldn't afford big dmfa one person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or just, you know, reach out around you. You know, find a cohort, you know, like be the change. Find the cohort in your more immediate surroundings. if that's something you even are looking for. Because not everybody not everybody wants to have a publishing company. I get it. Um, that's all the time we have for it. Thank you so much. I learned stuff. I hope you stuff. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.